Hello and welcome to A Beautiful Game, You Are Wise, Middle of the Week Football Discussion Show. Joining me today, Alex Tamp-Brown, Josh, hello. Hi there. Hello. First question I've got to ask, have we been keeping up with the Royals? Because that's all been, you know, no. that's been going on this week. It's all that's been going on, Alex. I don't want to hear any more of it, please. I mean, per- I... Personally, watching the Royal Family on gold has been an Wait. absolute godsend. Royal family, no, um, no, they they beat Sheffield Wednesday at the weekend. Before that, they beat Blackburn. <laughs> Honestly, that's just a really fascinating side to follow. <laughs> I'll be honest. That's the drum kit when you need it. But, um... I'll be honest. I you 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 kind of beat me to <laughs> to a joke there, but I did apologise before we started recording for that joke specifically. So <laughs> anyway. We'll start with our games of the weekend then, and I'm going to start with mine. I'm going to go to La Liga. My game of the weekend was Huesca 3, South Vigo 4. It was the early kickoff on the Sunday, which sort of meant it was like the undercard to Real against Atletico. But it was a really fascinating game. Both sides scored within the first 15 minutes. The defences decided to just not bother for the entire game. It was absolutely fantastic. The I believe the, we'll get on to this when we talk about the game itself, but the XG was absolutely off the charts for one side and really low for the other, and yet it still finished 3-4. It was absolutely fantastic, a really fun game to watch, and yeah, fantastic. Quesca 3, South Vigo 4, two sides obviously fighting relegation as well, game of the weekend. Alex Tamp-Brown, your game of the weekend. Um, it wasn't a good game, but the reason I've gone with it for my game of the weekend is because of how... This now needs to be the game that everyone cites to outline the problems with VAR. Everyone always uses the Aston Villa-Sheffield United game where VAR couldn't have intervened on the goal line technology, but Burnley won, Arsenal won, I think is was my game of the weekend, purely to highlight how shocking some of the VAR decisions were. I know we covered it on pre-game and I was absolutely losing my mind over some <laughs> things. But there was a handball that wasn't reviewed by VAR and there was a shoulder ball, which is what I'm going to call it, that was reviewed by VAR after it was given as a penalty and a red card, even though the same player should have been sent off for a handball earlier on in the game. Weird, weird game that, as an Arsenal fan, I just knew we weren't going to win once we didn't get that penalty. Mm. Josh, your game of the weekend. Um, Okay, so I think this would be pretty obvious. Just Why Scunthorpe? Yeah, Scunthorpe just um, kept the ball on the floor, you know, beautiful tickets. That doesn't sound like Scunthorpe to me. <laughs> Two diametrically opposed positions, Scunthorpe and Tiki Taka. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was a weird game as the Man United fan coming into Manchester Derby because we've had a lot of success recently, especially away from home. And it always felt set up for a weird result because you've got Man City going for, what, 21 wins on the bounce and a United side that was very, very volatile. And it always felt like you could maybe come and nick something just because that was the sort of game. You've been losing to to some odd sides, been drawn to some odd sides. This is the game you're going to come out with. And it, and it was. Uh, United for 30, 34 seconds in. Uh, Martial decided he'd like to have a decent game once every 10 and, and played fantastically winning that penalty um, and after that um, United counted very well, used the ball very well at, at large periods apart from maybe Frez, which is a surprise because United in recent games haven't done that, kept the ball well, um, passed around City quite well and City didn't know what to do 
there were there were very few occasions where I was very worried about about United conceding. They they didn't really seem to have any ideas. Kevin De Bruyne was very absent, and then Luke Shaw with a fantastic counter attacking goal finishing them off in the end. So uh, delighted with the results. Um, not entirely shocked for a weird reason, but. I mean, the title may be well undone, but it's always good to get one over your local rivals. And just in case you do want to know, Scunthorpe drew one all the way at Salford this week, and the only goal for With them some... coming from the penalty spot from Abba Baker, Isa, I don't know how to say his name, I apologise. but sure yeah, it wasn't very... some beautiful tick-attack football, Alex? It was some beautiful tick-attack football, very even <laughs> game, and Scunthorpe up to 18th in the league, they're on 39 points. So, or they are now, they've played and lost in midweek. Anyway, so, let's start then with League 2, no, let's start with the Premier League. And let's start with the first game we mentioned in the Premier League already. Burnley won, Arsenal won. Sounds frustrating. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a game that I think Arsenal... There's positives that they can take out from it, and it's the fact that they were just the better side against Burnley. Uh, Arsenal were deserved winners. I don't think any Burnley fan can actually disagree with that. And Burnley have stopped their horrible run against Arsenal losing most of their games I believe under Sean Dyche they've lost against Arsenal Burnley it's an important point for them to try and drag themselves away from the who wants to be relegated fight out of Newcastle Brighton and Fulham and Arsenal it's a it's two points dropped definitely for them this was a chance for them to go very near to to Liverpool in eighth and on the same points as Villa, they didn't take it, unfortunately, and especially on a weekend where a lot of results actually went in their favour. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's one of it's one of those games that you just have to chalk down and go. You'll get about three of them every season, and that was one of those games. But unfortunately, Arsenal's season has been characterised by these sorts of games. I mean, that's fair. It's that Arsenal game. Uh, watching it and seeing your reaction to it, I don't understand VAR. It's so, I loved your I, reaction I, to it. I know we were, you know, we always say this every week, but when things are that obvious, yeah, how that, is that, it that, human error anymore? I don't get it. That's what really confused me. It's supposed to clear up the clear and obvious errors. And I, I, if you haven't seen it, please go and watch the highlights from it at least. Because Eric Peters' handball was about as obvious a handball as anything, about as clear as handball as anything. And it wasn't even reviewed by VAR. Mm. Like, they didn't even go, wait a minute, there's possibly been a handball. And I think that's... I think the problem from that came... problem from that came from Arsenal's players not appealing from it enough. But you shouldn't have to appeal yeah. to mm. get a decision. You shouldn't have to go, look, 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 look. You should go... You, you know, you play to the whistle, and that's what you're taught as a kid. And Arsenal play to the whistle... And they didn't get the whistle that should have gone in their favour. And then when they did get the whistle in their favour, it was the wrong decision because the referee was trying to compensate almost for missing that earlier penalty, I think. It does Odd fe- game. It does feel like the argument against VAR is almost negatively affected by this. And by that, I mean that it now really cannot be blamed on the technology. It, it, it's quite clearly the... In- I'm, I'm sorry, the incompetence of the people in Stockley Park. They would be fired in any other job 
Yeah. How they are still yeah. doing what they're doing is absolutely beyond me. So, apart from that, what else was this game? Was it anything? It, it's a missed chance for both sides. More so for Arsenal. I think more rides on them getting up the table uh, in terms of showing progression. Uh, there were some people calling for Mikel Arteta to resign after this game. A small section of Twitter, and it's like, you obviously don't know football. Football, Twitter, the best place. Yeah, because, like... Alex, I mean, you're relying on Twitter for, for sound opinions, to be fair, which was always going to be a, a, a little it's, bit of a It's, it's kind of... Do you know what it reminds me of? As someone who studied philosophy at university, it kind of feels like just a load of philosophers in a room, just, you know, really yeah. thinking through everything and coming out with these really grandiose, really smart, thought-through opinions. Mm. That's exactly yeah. what it's like. I mean, as, as an Arsenal fan... For me, this season was always a write-off. I didn't. I, there was a project that needed to be done. There was a lot of things that needed to happen, and actually, it's kind of a successful season if if we're looking at it on paper. We've cleared up the wage bill, bring through young talent, and we're starting to look like a proper side again. You know, with Party and Erdegaard and Saka, he mm. who had an off day against Burnley, unfortunately for him. Willian did actually all right, but it. It's a, it's a massive transitional season for Arsenal, and if you're calling for Mikel Arteta's head, you're obviously not seeing the improvement that Arsenal have made from the from the Wenger football that characterised the sort of the last three years of his tenure as Arsenal manager. Because and and he's a legend, and I love him so much. But the football wasn't as good, and the results weren't there. And then we had Unai Emery, and the whole debacle around the board with Mislintat coming in and going out, and then. Ivan Gazidis coming in and going out, and Raul Sanjay coming in and going out. We were an absolute mess at the start of this season. We didn't sign the right players for about four transfer windows in a row. Hmm. What else did you expect from this season? I really don't know. Yeah, we'll move on then. Sheffield United nil, Southampton two goals coming from James Ward-Prowse and Che Adams against his former side, of course. First win for Southampton in 10 Premier League matches. How how do we how do we treat this? Because on the one hand, Southampton have been playing awfully and look like really like they were you know destined for the drop almost, if not for other teams below them. But you know you know what I mean. And so they've got this win, but it is fundamentally against Sheffield United. Yeah, um, I think if they hadn't have won this, they would have been in real danger. To be honest, mm. um, a game that. I hate to say it, but you come up against Sheffield United now, you have to expect to win. There seems to be just something going on there which is completely out of the players' control, completely out of the manager's control, and it's just sort of... They've almost prepared for the championship now, mm. and they've sort of accepted it. But it's weird to say that a win might be a blip for Southampton, <laughs> but that's how I'd kind of describe it. It's a blip, and I expect normal service to resume and then to not exactly play well for the next few weeks, especially with Danny Ings out injured. Mm. Southampton's chances of going down are, according to 5.38, really incredibly low. And there are six, seven teams who are you know, more favoured to go down than them, including, surprise, Sheffield United. <laughs> but, the th- the yeah. thing is, when I look at it, um, this. Do you, do you remember when... Uh, no one wanted to get in the top four at one season. Like mm. Every team, as soon as they got into pole position, just threw it away. I think it was 
also 2016, tw- 17. 2015, 16 with the title. Yeah. yeah. I don't I want f- it. I, f- I feel like this is what it is. As soon as one team gets offered that little hand to pull away from the relegation zone, they go, no, I'd rather shoot myself in the foot. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. And- so, odds of relegation, according to 538, they just they have a mathematical website. I think they started with politics and they've gone into sports. And they give the percentage chances of a team going down, getting the Champions League, going um, winning the league. They do it for quite a lot of leagues, actually. But Sheffield United, more than 99%. West Brom, more than 99%. Newcastle, 42%. Fulham, 32%. Brighton, 12%. Burnley, 11%. Crystal Palace, 3%. Southampton, 1%. Everyone else is less than 1%. So, we'll move on to the next game, then. West Brom, nil. Newcastle, nil. I am... Slightly, slightly. I, I think personally, neither team knew that you know they could be relegated at the end of the year, and this game was important. Yeah, I think I surely feel... West Brom are down, but Newcastle. Yeah, more than ninety-nine percent. Fights. Sam Allardyce is going to resign to keep his sort of record. <laughs> <laughs> guarantee record. it. Mm. The the only thing I can say about this game is that Newcastle have now got one more point on the board than Brighton uh, did this weekend, and it. It just looks more likely, especially when we can, when we talk about the next game, uh, that Fulham will stay up at the, you know, at the behest of either Brighton or Newcastle. And I think those are the three that are battling it out. Mm. By the way, you'll be stunned to hear that a goalkeeper won the player of the game, according to the Premier League. Sam Johnston, winning that. That's a, that's a shocker to me. Don't know about you. <laughs> But, I am shook. Yeah, I don't think we really need to go into this game anymore. Liverpool, nil. Fulham won the only goal coming from Mario Lamina. Liverpool losing their sixth straight game at Anfield. I, I'm i lost for words on this. I think um, Liverpool and Anfield, right, is all about mentality. When we they should were, move back um, to Goodison Park. <laughs> exactly. I oh, know, sorry, Everton played at Anfield. Sorry, my bad, I got that the wrong way round. I mean, it'd probably do them more good to play um, Everton anyway, wouldn't it? Just, yeah. just change the just scenery. Just play away. Know. It's like it's... the inverse of Leeds back in 92-93 verse. Okay. <laughs> That's a reference for you historians out there. Cheers. Third, third in home record and last in away record. They're one of five or six teams in the Premier League era to have not won away from home all season. Six. Oh, one of six wow. teams. I mean, and they were the, the thing, champions, reigning champions. The thing is with Liverpool, and I've I've said this for a good few weeks now. The, and I know you, I know you've written an article on this, Woody. But to me, this is just probably the worst title defense. Looking at how good Liverpool were, going almost a season invincible, to now being what is a laughing stock. Even even when Chelsea had all their problems in, I think it was fifteen sixteen, you could they still had the oh we changed manager halfway through the season and stuff like that. Whereas now Liverpool have continued with the same guy. They've not bought well and have been found out because of it. Can I just say that in the article I said something along the lines of using their record last year to justify this as the worst is devoid of reason or something. Else. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to apologise to you, but. <laughs> I, I, oh, I wanted to go I off a pure points there, per game record. Um, 
I don't remember what points per game was for David Moyes' season at it was United. Better than the, it, it was better than this. I'm going to have to look it up. Go to thesportsblitzblog.wordpress.com if you want to read about the five worst Premier League title defences of all time. It was fifth. Indeed. I can't okay. remember but how many points. My point no. was, anyway, that we're going from a team that were champions of Europe, champions of England, posed with both the trophies despite not winning them in the same season. <laughs> <laughs> And then the drop-off has just been cataclysmic mm. for them. Yeah, it was 1.68 points per game, by the way. Uh, Liverpool currently around the 1.6 mark, but I've not updated the table since I actually did the article. Chelsea 2015-16 was 1.32. The worst Ooh. is still Leicester with 1.16. Okay, right. However... The, the argument for Leicester is the fact that they shouldn't have won the title anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. I think you have to give them the rest of the season to truly see it in context. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, obviously, but at the moment, it is all about mentality Anfield. They, they went on that massive unbeaten run because you can't win at Anfield, right? You can't even get a point at Anfield. It's Liverpool, it's Anfield. I think teams were already beaten when they walked through the sun at Anfield. Yeah. Now, once obviously that burning result happens and the Everton result happens, People have now got it in their head. Okay, we can, we should go to Anfield and get results. Mentality has switched, and therefore, it's so much easier in itself to get results. It's almost like the, the thinking about it mm. naturally precipitates the, the result, right? Do you know what yeah. it reminds me of? It reminds me of sort of 2011, 2012 Arsenal, where if you went out on the front foot and you got at them early on in the game, you'll rattle them. And as soon as they were rattled, they couldn't like go off course. This was back when Koscielny was only just finding his feet in England and Vermeilen wasn't really doing too well and Mertesacker was quite new to the league. Mm. So you'd go away, or, or Arsenal would go away or go at home. And if you scored an early goal against them, you'd really sort of affect their mentality for the rest of the game. Mm. And you could easily go and score three, four, five against what was a shaky Arsenal team. And that's what Liverpool remind me of, this season at least. Because I think with the games that they've lost, you can't even argue that they were the better team during those games. Because they've put in some horrendous performances on the pitch and they've been lucky to lose by only one or two goals. Mm. Yeah. By the way, actually, Liverpool's home record is still better than their away record. They're fifth in the league based on home record, 23 points. Away from home, they're ninth in the league on 20. So, they only need, by the way, they only need seven points to match Chelsea 2015-16. But anyway, Fulham, meanwhile, have had a really good, we've talked about this already, a really good revival in the second half of the season. Of all the teams who are in that sort of bottom group, we'll, we'll say up to Newcastle United because Burnley do have a bit of a points advantage, are they actually now the favourites to stay up? Yes. Yeah, completely. I'd agree with that. I, I, I said... You, oh, no, Josh. Oh, cheers. Um, to be honest with you, looking at that, having watched that Liverpool game, I didn't understand how they were in that position in the first place. And obviously, context is a massive thing here. Look at their performance at the start of the season. But they played really well. Uh, Luckman in particular was, was fantastic. Cavaliero should have had a goal. Uh, and they, they were passing the ball and, and getting down that Liverpool uh, right-hand side really, really well. Obviously, look, context really important. Liverpool at home these days, Fulham having a resurgence this season, whatever. 
But they've played some really, really good football. If they continue like that, they've got every chance of staying up. Every chance. The, mm. They're level on points with Brighton now. They're only in the relegation zone. Why? Three goals? Yeah. Brighton do have a game in hand, though, as do Newcastle. So, Are Brighton you know, yet to play Fulham again? I do not know. Because that would be a massive game. Absolutely mm. massive game. Yeah. Absolutely. It's about this time of year I really start looking at like the bottom clubs in, in leagues because obviously the relegation battle, you know who's in it, you know who's yeah, going to sure. be fighting. So it's always more interesting around this time of season. So finally we'll go on then to the Manchester Derby in the Premier League. Manchester City nil, Manchester United 2. Pep Guardiola is a really good manager unless of course he's playing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, absolutely. Um... Uh, he he's been guilty, and I, I'd say this for Pep in the Champions League as well, of overthinking things when it comes to massive, massive games. Like, if he doesn't have to overthink, he just lets his players play and play what the style he wants to implement. He's fantastic. He's the world's best. But then, for some reason, I don't know whether it's bottling or whether United have just got into his head since Mourinho, but something changes in his head. And he was almost bound to lose this game, it felt like. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, we, t- we were just talking about Scott Parker and his, how his pragmatism has got Fulham up the table. Guardiola sticking to his philosophy is what got him those games all won on the bounce. But when he comes, as you said, in the Champions League, or when he comes up against Manchester United, it, it just seems to go out the window. I remember that game where Man United came from two goals behind to win 3-2. That's what this game sort of feels like to me. It was, Man United shouldn't have won, but they did. And they won fairly convincingly. Man City didn't look to sort of threaten them until Phil Foden came on the pitch. That's fair. It's um, It was a fantastic counter-attacking. The second one, I mean, the, the first, if it's a penalty, whatever you can say about that. But um, fantastic work from Dean Henderson to, to get out to Luke Shaw. And the player who's arguably been, apart from Fernandes, United's player of the season by a mile, Luke Shaw, um, who doesn't get many goals with, with a fantastic finish. But like you say, uh, Alex, this was convincing. Um, apart from some very weird play by Fred, it didn't seem to give the ball away an awful lot, which was nice to see. But, but just City didn't look very dangerous at all and you just have to feel at this point like what is up with with Guardiola in because obviously he's a world-class manager obviously they're going to win the league this year whatever but it just feels like something goes wrong in his head with games say against United or massive Champions League ties when he knows I'm not to say reputation's on the line because that's obviously not true but he knows things will be said I, I think something just goes and he certainly tries to overthink it. I'm not mm. sure. Um, in relation to Dean Henderson, I mean, I thought he played really, really well for United, especially in such a such yeah. a big game against such a good goal-scoring team. Would you prefer to see him starting over De Gea for the rest of the season? I think you've got to give him the chance. Um, I know De Gea's obviously been off with uh, paternity leave, but... If you've got Dino in for, say, two or three games, right, he keeps clean sheets, he does well. He's uh, well, so One thing I will say about Dean Henderson, coming out for crosses, coming out for balls, coming out for corners, he instills so much confidence in you. Whereas Can we have here, him? <laughs> 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 uh, 
okay with De Gea, right? He's a great shot stopper. He's great with his feet, uh, as in saving with his feet. But with regards, he doesn't give you confidence with, with aerial threats, right? Dean is absolutely different from that. He's such a confident lad, um, so vocal. And I think in this sort of form, you can't just put David Haya back in. You'd have to wait for a drop in form from Dino. I, th- I think he's earned the right to fight for his spot and be given a long, a, long, a long-term run. Is that long-term De Gea goes at the end of the season? That's a massive, massive, massive question. But I think you need to give Henderson the chance based on form. I'm going to apologise in advance for this because I'm going to reference the NFL, which I know okay. can sometimes be annoying on this show. But the NFL blitz, eh? Anyway, so <laughs> if you, for me... The interesting fact about this is that he's coming because De Gea's on, mater- on paternity leave. And if you sure. remember the, the debate over Drew Bledsoe and Tom Brady in the early 2000s and Justin Herbert and Tyrod Taylor this year, it feels like one of those where you'll, you'll be sat there going, well, we can't make him the number one now because that switch can't happen due to De Gea going on paternity leave. Like, it couldn't happen with Herbert because Tyrod Taylor was injured, right? Mm. If you know what I mean. Because that, that would mean that he's he's lost his job because he took paternity leave, sure. which is a big no-no. Even if it's not that, even if it's Henderson playing really well, it would look like that. So he will, he would be given the job back. I think he's guaranteed to get the job back at some point, even if Henderson's playing phenomenally, because they cannot make it look like they've got rid of him due to him going on paternity leave, even if it's not that at all. They'll allow him to play to the end of the season at least. And then they'll sell him, saying Henderson, you know, he's young, he's the future of the club. We're going to give him the starting role this year. Hear but me they, out, right? Yeah. Hear me out. De Gea to PSG. Henderson I can see takes that. the number one spot for United. I can see that. I, I don't see De Gea make, kicking up a fuss, though. Because football is really, yeah, it, really different. He wouldn't kick up a fuss, but I, I think it, it could be portrayed as I'm the press, and it's just better to avoid it. But I, I, with with the press aspect of it, I think they'd be more happy the fact that Dean Henderson's starting for Man United because young English goalkeeper. Mm. And you know how the press love to whack lyrical about any young That's English fair. player yeah, yeah, that yeah. Do, puts in a six out of ten every week. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I think Henderson, if he does well over these next few games, should start over De Gea. Yeah, fair enough. The, the press have had a wonderful week anyway, so... You know. Yeah, they've been no way painted in any sort of light that might be construed as problematic at yeah, all. Yeah, no. no. All of the no. press is wonderful all of the time, and there is no sarcasm in my voice. No journalist made any error this week, and, no, and then walked off all. any shows. So. No. None at all. There is no sarcasm to be found on a beautiful game. <laughs> anyway. In a completely unrelated topic. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> bye, 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 bye. <laughs> Do you know what? That's staying in. <laughs> this is what you get for hacking the system. End of. Yes. It's like it's like when a football manager on on football manager storms out of a press conference. <laughs> anyway, how dare you criticise me? Bye bye. How dare you ask me about the opposition player for the tenth time? So anyway, we'll go to, into the championship then, and we'll start with the early kickoff between Watford and Nottingham Forest. Finished finished Watford one, Nottingham Forest nil, and Messina getting the only goal of the game. Really poor marking by Anthony Knockout, who I think is to blame for the goal, and really bad keeping by I forgot his name, Samba. Bryce Bryce Samba, yeah. Yeah, Samba. Yeah. 
apart from that, there's not really anything else to mention. Watford did gain to the automatic promotion places with that win at the time. There's not really anything else to mention. I just wanted to mention how I think Anthony Knockhart is to blame for failing to track back, which has been a problem with Nottingham Forest this year. Not Anthony Knockhart in particular, but just the effort and the lack of effort shown by some players has been really, truly disappointing. Let's get on to the game we all want to actually talk about. Barnsley won Birmingham nil. Barnsley's seventh straight win in the Championship. The goal coming from Daryl Dyke, who recently transferred over from Orlando. And what a goal it was. It was a proper avid sort of finish. Yeah, it was brilliant. It It was absolutely brilliant. That's my goal of the week. So, uh, to Alex's, um, how do you think Barnsley are going to fare in the Premier League next season? (laughs) You love to see it. (laughs) You love to see it. We joke about this, but a lot of the time, the playoffs are down to who's in form. Yeah. Absolutely. And with Barnsley doing this and going as far as they are going, they have a game in hand over Reading, who are three points above them. They have a game in hand over Watford, who sit in second for the moment on 66 points. And Brentford and Swansea didn't win their last games. They're not just like playoff contenders. They're actually, I'd say, probably one of the promotion contenders, especially considering they could move within six points of the promotion places. Mm. Yeah. And they're one point clear of Bournemouth and have a game in hand in that final playoff spot. Um, There is actually a really good chance now. Absolute credit to Valerian Ismail, who is surely at the moment the front-runner for Manager of the Year in the Championship. In fact, as of recording today, they play tonight against Derby Mm. County in their game in hand. We will add a part to this, discussing what happened in that game. (laughs) (laughs) And now that the game is over, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Nothing. Nothing happened. It was a really boring game. Barnsley nil, Derby nil was a full-time result. Barnsley's run of seven straight wins ends, but they are still in the playoffs, entering this weekend's fixtures. Uh, Alex, though, uh, both Alex, it's like, I feel like the Championship is a lot more malleable than the Premier League, if that makes mm. any sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, if you're discussing the, the automatic promotion hopes of Barnsley, it's just a bit more so because the championship is wacky. There's more games to play. It feels like you can go from second to seventh reasonably easy. So why not? You know, why not? I, yeah. Ironic you've said that about uh, any team when Bournemouth have literally gone and done it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but as much as I'd love to see Barnsley promoted, I've just kind of feel... That does have an air of Derby 06-07. Yeah. Also an air of Blackpool 09-10 when they got promoted. And fair enough, they came up to the Premier League and were everyone's favourite Gave it a good go. Team. And they gave it a good go. And I think Derby would... Not Derby. Barnsley would give it a good go. A better go than Derby. Yeah. But I still feel like they'd get relegated on the final day. Yeah. They, what doesn't help, if, if you know anything about Derby, they spent next to nothing when they did get promoted to the Premier League. And that's what cost them. Because they had a bottom, of the, a bottom half of a championship squad trying to play in the Premier League. Mind you, though... Barnsley didn't really spend anything when they got promoted from League One into the Championship. Mm. If, I, if I remember rightly, and I know you'll correct me on this, didn't they sell off their better players for big money and bring yeah, in? Yeah, they sold players? Ethan Pinnock and Adam Davis. Yeah, and yet, and they survived on a technicality, but they survived. And then in the summer, they kind of just tried to bring in through more young players, 
which is yeah. kind of working for them. I mean, well, I'm guessing their big money signings, what, Sol Bauer or Corley Woodrow, neither of them came in for big fees, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I could be it's, wrong, it's not... though. Also, if you win promotion to the Premier League, the riches that you get mm. would set Barnsley up nicely to be a, a good, solid mid-table championship side rather than the yo-yo side they have historically been. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we'll go on then to the next game. Norwich 3, Luton 0. Two goals from Timo Pukki, one from Todd Cantwell. Norwich, 76 points from 35 games, which is more than they had this time in their championship winning season two years ago. So, simple question, are Norwich already up? HMS win the league is full ahead, Steve. De facto, yeah. They are. Yeah. For me, they need, what, 14 points over 11 games to absolutely secure the title. I don't see any team. I don't see Watford getting 24 points in 11 games or Swansea getting 24 points in 12 games. So I, I think 90 needs, points wins the league. I know it needs an 11-game winning run, uh, but could they challenge Reading for biggest points tally? Do you, th- do you reckon? How many or points could they give it a good go? Moment? There are 30 points off at the yeah, moment. Yeah, so they need, they need 10 wins from their last 11 games to level. I would be surprised because it feels like if let, let's say they secure promotion in or all but secure promotion in the next four games, right? They win all four, they won 88 points after 39 games. Would you really go gung-ho like in every game remaining? I think you try and test out some youngsters, prep more for the Premier League than absolutely go after the points. They can very easily yeah, break probably. 100 points, which is a phenomenal achievement but, and but is why, one like that, you, you know, the championship teams go for. Go on, Josh. I, I get I, I get that, but I, I think more of what you've just said, actually. Use the extra games if, if you manage to clinch it beforehand to, to do some prep to yeah. To, to give people more game time, this especially in a a Premier League, which is becoming, I think, more and more difficult to handle. Like, do everything you can to, to prep for next year, surely. Maybe put some players in the shop window. Yeah. The, exactly. the worst thing as well would be: can you imagine they're playing a meaningless game, they're trying to go for the win, Emmy Brandier gets injured for multiple months. Yeah. That would be yeah. their Premier League season almost over before it's began. Are you saying as soon as Norwich get promoted, they just give Timu Puki, Emmy Wendier, and Cantwell just holiday? Just go, yeah, go just, off, bye bye. No, no, they're, they're put in bubble that. What, they Little just charger. put him in those big Zorb balls? <laughs> just, I can just imagine Emmy Brandier on his holiday going, I'm going to go on a jet ski, and like there's an agent from Norwich going, Don't! No. <laughs> just, he sits down to eat some chicken. Have you checked it's cooked? Oh, can you leave me alone? <laughs> Someone just micromanaging his life. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm enjoying this. <laughs> it's holiday. It's not what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, they're, they're going up in my opinion. I don't think there's anything, any doubt about that. Press North End 1, Bournemouth 1. I don't know why I put this in the show plan. I'll be honest, I was planning to watch more football um, before the show, but I've just not had the time. So that's not been great. But It, it was a game that yeah. happened in the Championship. I feel like Bournemouth aren't going up. Mm. That, so, that, I don't th- not, not at first attempt, at least, anyway. It feels, like I said, when they hired Woodgate, it felt unambitious. It feels like they're just prepping for next year, 
which is not a smart thing to do when you've got them parachute payments. There's a big advantage over the rest of the league. Really frustrating. Yeah. Let's talk about a much more hilarious game. Reading 3, Sheffield Wednesday nil. This game can be summed up by the fact that Sheffield Wednesday took a free kick and it hit Callum Patterson in the, um, you know... Wednesday doing Wednesday things. In his, Go on. Yeah. It wasn't... It wasn't great, and it didn't get much better after that. My favourite part was um, Bonner, I think his name is. He, he was sent off for a last man challenge, and he Hulk ripped his shirt off oh, as he was leaving the I pitch. I saw that, yeah. That was so fantastic. That, that is, Sheffield Wednesday just summarised. That and the being kicked in the, you know... My, my favourite right. thing is that yeah. Sheffield Wednesday could be getting... Or have the opportunity to play Sheffield United next season in the Championship. No, no. Completely capitulated and could even further be p- compounded by Barnsley going up. <laughs> like Barnsley, the, the, big, the big boy in South Yorkshire, finally. Oh, no. So it's what we've all wanted, really. That it would. I mean, of course, what we really want is Sheffield Wentz to get relegated and Doncaster Rovers to get promoted. <laughs> that would be the. That would be the be-all and end-all. And that if Rotherham stayed up as well, it'd be pure banter yes. for Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, Rotherham stay up, Barnsley get promoted. United Sheffield, do the United. great escape. Yeah, United do the great escape. <laughs> Toncaster Rovers get promoted, maybe alongside Hull. They're just a small list club in Yorkshire all of a sudden. Their best rivalries with a Scunthorpe side who have just magically come from nowhere to get promoted in League 2. Grimsby, maybe. <laughs> At least we have Scunthorpe to play. But not even <laughs> from Yorkshire, in Lincolnshire. But anyway. Swansea 2, Middlesbrough 1. Neil Warnock, not particularly happy after this game. By not particularly happy, I mean he was absolutely raging. Swansea got a late penalty. Scored in the 97th minute from Andre. Are you, should they have had it? No or no? No. Well, no. considering you've given me those big variety of options, I'm going to go with no. It, it was so weak. See, Steve Cooper was like, yeah, I think that was a penalty. And it's like, surprise. Neil Warnock not taking the same opinion on the matter. His interview was hilarious. His interview well. was fantastic. It, it's for Neil Steve Warnock. Steve Cooper's to dad, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. Because Steve Cooper's dad, being a former referee, he was there like, oh, he could have a word with his dad about penalty decisions. <laughs> It was the most Neil Warnock thing ever, and I kind of love him for it. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. They also, of course, Middlesbrough had a goal disallowed. In the, at the end of the first half, Sam Morsey having having his his goal ruled out. That also, to me, seemed a bit harsh. I, I wouldn't have disallowed it either. So, yeah, it really was an, Swansea getting quite a lot of penalties recently. <laughs> They got one again against Blackburn in midweek. They've got one in like for two games before as well. They are getting a lot of penalties and not all of them are warranted. But Steve Cooper doesn't seem to have a problem with that, which is, I know, shocking. Anyway, we will go then to La Liga and we'll start with the game on Friday, the Derby Dallas Community at Valencia getting a much needed win against rivals Villarreal. The penalty First, I want to start with, in the 40th minute, Gerard Moreno scoring from the spot. I I didn't like the call, and this will become relevant later on. It, it's one of them, it's all, it's all like, he doesn't really know about it. It bounces up into his arm. His arm was in an unnatural position, granted, but it's kind of like behind his body as well. It was a really weird sort of position. 
but he didn't know anything about it. The referee went to Ronis, so he did award the penalty. By the rules of the game, it is the correct decision, but it's one of them you really just don't want to see given as a penalty, in my opinion. I, I really didn't like it. VRL, I wouldn't say were the better side for most of the game, despite how they were holding on to the lead. They probably felt like they deserved it, but then 86th minute Carlos Soler scoring from the penalty spot, and Guedes scoring in the 91st minute to give Valencia a much-needed win. They, they've just needed anything. If you remember last week when when Gabriel Paulista was in nearly in tears talking about Valencia and their, their situation, this this was so needed for them. Villarreal, meanwhile, just seemed to be falling apart. And I I still... I know I, I, I'm a supporter of Emery, at least at Villarreal, but I, I, I don't know what's really to blame at this point because it feels like the injuries are significant but not as significant as, as this and I, I, I don't know they, they should have won this game they weren't the better side they probably deserved to lose in the end this is really concerning for Unai Emery and for Villarreal and I don't know how it improves particularly anytime soon their aim now has to be just to get into that sixth place spot because any hope of a Champions League, which they, they had at the start of the year, is fully gone. It's absolutely over. They are some 11, 11. points behind. Yeah, severe. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels with Unai at Villarreal and his, it, it, this, the last sort of 12 months of his, or his entire Arsenal career, if you want to sort of truncate that. Villarreal started off very well. And so did Arsenal, and then you know you sort of get a few injuries here and there, and then mm. because obviously he doesn't have his first eleven, and he's he's a manager that knows the eleven players who he wants to play each and every week, and there will be little variation on top of that. Yeah. And then as soon as that happens, that you know that he doesn't have those eleven players to rely on, it's almost like players are coming into the side, but they don't believe that the manager believes in them, so they don't play to the best of their ability. And thus, a, a cycle starts where you, you don't do as well and then you mm. start drawing games and you start losing games. And their record in the past five games is comparable to, yeah. like, I, I, I want to say Ibar, but I know it's Abar. Yeah. So. Two points from five games, uh, bottom of the La Liga form table with Abar. Yeah, it, it's it's not been it's not been good. I think the policy pursued in January of you know like trying to bring the wage bill down and getting rid of Takafu Sakubo for me, which is very significant. Um, absolutely dreadful. We we'll go on to the next game then. Alche two Sevilla one. We talked about how you know Villarreal aren't gonna catch up with Sevilla, but who knows? Because Sevilla are also not doing particularly well. That that Dortmund game, the first Dortmund game, really feels like a turning point in their season for like just really negatively because they've not been the same since and even getting players back I believe Lucas Acampos played in this game they've just not been as good since they um, Alche were the better side for pretty much all the game Raul Guti open for scoring in the 70th minute will come back to the Carrillo goal in the 76th and Luke de Jong getting one back for Sevilla in the 90th minute but it was far too late they absolutely deserved nothing from this game Let's talk about the Carrillo goal because it's really interesting. Ball comes in from the right, from a free kick. Carrillo heads it towards goal. It comes in off the post and Bono's, I, I don't want to call it an attempt to save, his daydreaming turned late reaction, I guess, 
It, it's really something. His, his effort or lack thereof is astounding from yeah. a goalkeeper. He, it might not be Bono in net, actually. It doesn't look like him. He, he's oh, wearing the number one. He's wearing the number one shirt. No, it was um, Vaklik. Vaklik. Thomas Vaklik. Yeah. Yeah. Vaklik started in goal. So first of all, the goalkeeping itself is is hilariously dreadful. But the other thing I want to mention: it, the goal wasn't originally given. It went to VAR. So VAR gave the goal. Do they do they not have goal line technology in Spain? I'm guessing they don't, which is why they went mm. to VAR. Yeah. But if, if, they did have, right. if they did have goal line technology, then this is... I, I say this as someone who says that VAR should be there to do clear and obvious errors, but it's almost like outside of VAR's remit if you have goal line technology. But also, let's not take away from the fact that Thomas Vashlik has had an hmm. absolute horror but, show there. Yeah, absolutely. But the reason I bring this up is if they do have goal line technology and it's backed by VAR, good. You might remember yeah. a certain incident last year in the Premier that League. That referenced already. <laughs> that has been referenced already, in which they are really should have backed up goal line technology. So I'm loving this. I'm absolutely yeah. loving it. I think it's fantastic. VAR done right. Refereeing yes. done right. And we don't hear that in England. Yeah, VAR, I know there are people who moan about it in Spain, but it is so much better than it's run in England. It's absolutely unreal we'll go on now to the game i mentioned as my game of the weekend earlier on huesca 3 salta vigo 4 absolutely fantastic game to watch it was the undercard because everyone was getting ready for Atletico versus real madrid later on in the day but it was fantastic santi mina putting salta up after five minutes siovas responding in the 14th rafa mir giving huesca the lead of the 16th nolito made it to all before the break and then um the the keeper i forgot the name of who I really should remember the name of. The guy who wears number 13 for Salta. What's he called? Um, Asenjo? No, no. Uh, Ruben Blanco. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah, uh, Ruben Blanco went off with an injury. Um, Kept going, though. 52nd minute, Hugo Mayo gave Salta the lead. And then Ferrero equalised 3-all in the 74th minute. Fran Baltron scoring the 77th minute to make it 4-3 to Salta. What makes this game even more interesting is the expected goals. Because, oh boy, Huesca's expected goals, 3.14. Salta Vigo's expected goals, 0.66. They won 4-3. Alex Towles would not be happy with that result. He would not be happy with that at all. (laughs) It was a really wonderful game. I would recommend getting the highlights up if you can. Really fantastic to watch. Let's get on to the big game, though, from La Liga this weekend. Atletico Madrid 1, Real Madrid 1. It really felt like, for most of this game, Atletico were going to win. They were the better side. They played really well, but... Between like the 50th and 70th minutes, they missed a few really basic chances. And I can't remember the name of the commentator on La Liga TV, but he called it then and said, Real Madrid are going to get something out of this game. If you miss chances like that against Real Madrid, they make you pay. And they absolutely did in the end with Benzema scoring late on. This this game was really interesting. I, I think the majority of the game shows... The Atletico still are the title favourites. Obviously, they're playing tonight. I will probably edit in how they did later on. But 
the return of Trippier, Cayman Trippier making his first start in this game after his lengthy ban, cannot be underestimated. He played phenomenally, and Atletico played much better because he was there. He was the second assist, I guess, to the Luis Suarez goal, because he passed it to Llorente, Llorente passed it to Suarez. So, you're telling me that Atletico Madrid rely on a small little lad from Burnley Mm. for their title chances? I am absolutely saying that. I I love it. I absolutely love it. Who would have thought that about ten years ago? (laughs) Yeah. The headline from AS was The Blessed Return of Trippier. Which is fantastic. <laughs> he's, he's become a holy figure in Madrid within a couple of months of joining oh the club. God. You love it's, to it's see like it. It's like the memes of when Danny Welbeck scored that goal against uh, Leicester, when Arsenal thought they were going to win the league in 15-16. Mm. And he was called Welle and stuff like that. He was there holding the World Cup. <laughs> but yeah, the missed chances from Atletico were truly frustrating. If they'd gone 2 up, it would have been game over. But they could never just quite get over the line. Real Madrid started coming back in. There was a notable double save in about the 80th minute from Jan Black, And he looked like he was going to single-handedly win all three points of Atletico. And I think if they had won, it would have been league title over. For me, anyway. Because that would have shown they're, they're just better. But they did, they did drop out in the end. They did lose that goal to... Benzema. So the title race continues. High Liga! High Liga, indeed. Is this the best result Barcelona could have had? No. And I'm only saying this because if Real Madrid had have won, Atletico would have been closer to Barcelona. Especially with Atletico having a game in hand. That's my only reasoning. That mm. this might not have been the best result. But I think it, both teams dropping points though, is really good for them. Yeah. I mean, the worst was obviously Atletico win, so it's better than that. I, I'm slightly signing with the idea that a draw is better because you want both teams dropping points, but I totally understand your viewpoint. But I don't I don't want Barcelona to win the title. <laughs> See, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like... I, I like Barcelona as a club, but this year they don't feel like they deserve it. That's that's my point. Like, mm. I don't want It'd them be nice to win the to see title. Win. I don't want them to purely because of the fact that they've just... If it will justify their almost tax and spend policy when it comes to <laughs> That's transfers. That's fair. That's fair, yeah, absolutely. We'll go on to the final game then that I, I want to mention. Real Sociedad won Levante nil. Marino gave me only goal in the tenth minute. How Real Sociedad only scored one is kind of beyond me. Levante's expected goals for this game, 0.19. Real Sociedad's four point nine five. And they only scored one. This episode of A Beautiful Podcast is brought to you by Alex Towles and the <laughs> Philosophy. Hang on, we haven't talked about how Brighton should be staying up. Why have we not done that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just feels so weird for that 4.95 to only merit one goal. It's like, it's like a football manager game. It is absolutely like a football manager game. The game between Atletico Madrid and Athletic Bilbao was actually after the main recording of this podcast, but it was Atletico Madrid getting a vital 2-1 win over Bilbao. It started off really poorly. Ike Munayin scoring for Athletic Bilbao in the opening half. They played really well. Llorente equalised just before the half-time break, though, and then Luis Suarez getting a penalty just after the start of the second half. Big win for Atletico Madrid. They probably just about deserved it, and it means they go back to being six points clear of the top of La Liga. 
Let's go on to the Bundesliga event. Schalke nil, Mainz nil on Friday. I mention this for one reason only. Kicker, the magazine in Germany, awarded Schalke versus Mainz the lowest possible rating it can. It's the sixth time in 8,783 games that they've given this ge- given a game the lowest rating since they introduced ratings back in 1992. Which shows just how bad this game was. It was. I didn't watch it, but I've, I've seen you know, like the reaction. It was absolutely appalling. The last game to get the same rating was Greater Firth 0, Nuremberg 0, which was on the 24th of November 2012. I, I, would, I would like to congratulate Schalke on reaching double figures for the season as well from this game. So, well done, lads. You're well still going done. down. They're not as bad as Tasmania Berlin, which yeah, you know Tasmania Berlin were just there for the ride and the memes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not not really for the memes. This was nineteen sixty five. For the nineteen sixty five memes. For the whatever the nineteen sixty five equivalent of memes are. <laughs> but yeah, out of interest, I saw this on Reddit. I can't remember who said it, so I apologise. But who are the lowest ranked team in Germany who you would still expect to beat Schalke? I'd, I'd probably put my money on the Versberger kickers. Why not? Do you know what? I'm going to go even low. I'm going to say Bayern's Fai could beat them. Maybe Schalke's Vi could beat them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go... Stole their, they stole Schalke's Vi's um, player in Matthew Hopper, so... Yeah. Vot Weiss Essen beat... Again, he's immediately looking for the best player at Schalke. Vot Weiss Essen beat a Bayer Leverkusen side who are better. They could beat them. They're mid-table in the dry... In fact, no, they're not even in the dry league. They're in... The regional league. So we're now going into the fourth tier. If, if you want to talk about the worst German team that could beat Schalke this season, it's probably Schalke. That could... <laughs> <laughs> but the, who the are the lowest ranked? The, the list of teams that Schalke could beat is lower, is smaller yeah. than the list of teams. Let's put them in the could... fourth tier and just see how they do. That's what I, don't relegate them to the Spy Bundesliga, relegate them into the fourth tier, into the regional league, and just see if they even win there. I doubt it. Just press the factory reset button already, boys. Yeah. So, my, the funniest part about uh, Schalke's season is that they could legitimately end up with more losses than goals scored. And if wow. that's not a meme, I don't know what is. They're currently on 16 losses and 16 goals scored. And ironically, the reverse of the number is the goals they've conceded. They've conceded 61. Just give up. Just quit. Jesus Just Christ. This, this is a season that deserves to go down in history for all the wrong reasons. Their goal but difference is worse than mine's and Armenia Bielefeld's combined. combined. <laughs> Just give up. Just give Jesus up. Christ. Borussia Mönchengladbach nil by Leverkusen one. Patrick Schick getting the only goal of, of the game. Mönchengladbach continue to completely self-destruct after the announcement of Marco Rosa going to... Borussia Dortmund at the end of the year. Do you want to know how bad it is? Do you want to know how bad they've been playing? They're actually worse than Schalke <laughs> in the form table. One point from their last two ga- uh, five games. Schalke, two points from their last five games. They're worse than Schalke, confirmed. In all fairness, there is a tad bit of a difference. Mönchengladbach scored four, conceded eight in them five games. Schalke scored one, conceded 12 <laughs> in them five games. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what it is about Mönchengladbach that 
they've done this to themselves, but I, I just don't understand it. The, the atmosphere around the club is now so negative. Freiburg, if, oh, go on. I think if you're Gladbach, I think you maybe you have a, a, a backdoor meeting with Borussia Dortmund and just say, look, take him now. Yeah. I do you know I actually wouldn't wouldn't say that's a bad idea, to be honest. Both teams get what they want and both teams mm. could probably end up building for next season. Who who do you want to take over Munch and Gladbach out of interest? Because I don't think we talked about this. I want Jesse March. I was gonna say Jesse March Just, from Salzburg. As, yeah, if only because it means he's following him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Dortmund can go, see you in four years. It's yeah, like a production years. line, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Freiburg nil, Vassabus but Leipzig three. The goals coming from Christopher Kunku, Emil Forsberg, and the man, the myth, the legend, the goal scoring machine, Alexander Soloff, who got the second. He scored obviously against Munchen Gladbach last time out as well. It just proves that if you can't do it for relegation threatened Crystal Palace, you can do it for title challenging RB Leipzig. RB Leipzig, yes. I, I was going to say it, and then I thought, no, I'm not going to say it. Then I thought, yes, I'm going to say it. No. In all fairness, I'm obviously I'm not a big fan of the of the whole Red Bull experience, but there is a, we were talking about books this week because I've just brought the, the new um, St. Pauli book, another football is possible, which is really good. Highly recommend. But there is a really good book on Red Bull as well called Wings of Change or something about how they've you know developed their footballing system. It looks really interesting, actually. I'd I'd quite like to see um, a monster. Sponsored version of Leipzig yes. also come to the fore. Oh my god! Who is the other club in Leipzig who can be sponsored by Monster Energy? It'd be fantastic. I, w- I would love to see in like ten years' time at the top of the German Bundesliga table, <laughs> top of the table clash of Monster Leipzig versus Red Bull Leipzig. Yeah, football as it's meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I only really bring this game up because Freiburg really impressive. I've been playing really well recently, so this is an impressive win, and it means that Leipzig obviously keep the pressure on Bayern Munich. We'll go to that game after quickly mentioning Hoffenheim 2, Wolfsburg 1. Really good win for Hoffenheim. All goals coming in the first half. Baumgartner and Kramaric scoring for Hoffenheim. Wutweghorst scoring for Wolfsburg. It really does feel like um, Towels has had more of an influence on this show than he has. Because we've gone into XG, Brighton and Wutweghorst. I mean, it's his favourite things. His ghost just hangs over us. He's not dead, he's just not here. Um... That's four undefeated for Hoffenheim. Wolfsburg's first loss in four as well. Right then, let's get on to the game that promised so much and delivered so much disappointment. Bayern Munich four, Borussia Dortmund two. Erling Braut Haaland scored two goals in the opening nine minutes. We thought we were free. We thought we were free. And then it turned out Bayern Munich are really good at football. And more importantly, Robert Lewandowski is really good at football, especially when he wants to haunt his former employers. Another hat-trick. Leon Goretzka gave me only other goal. Two goals coming in the last two minutes. I was disappointed. Uh, I think the best way that I can uh, sum this up is, can you tell me the German version of a beautiful pre-game? What, I Schoenavorspiel? I Schoenavorspiel. And that is how Dortmund's performance was. It was beautiful foreplay, and then after <laughs> 15 minutes, it all went to the wall. So, so just just in case anyone doesn't know, I, I may have not reverse translated it, <laughs> and just to see what it was in English. I just I just put in a beautiful pre-game onto Google Translate. It came up and went, okay. 
not not thinking. And then when I found out, I was like, you know what? I'm keeping it. It it, it it's it's you know it's wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as Lewandowski scored in the 26th minute, I was like, oh no, it's happening again. Yeah, it just felt like it was inevitable at that point, and yeah. <sighs> Just it's German just, football. Disappointed. Do better against Bayern. Yeah. Play. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the Bundesliga, but even I just try and avoid looking at Bayern Munich ever because they're just so underwhelmingly good. Which I know is a weird phrase to say somebody's underwhelmingly good, but when it's Bayern Munich, it's just I want somebody else now. They, they seem to be in crisis every single year, and everyone yeah. talks about how old their team gets, and yet they still somehow win the league yeah. every year. It does feel like they're weaker this year than last year, but that's not really saying much considering how just overwhelming they were last year. And there is a yeah. chance like Leipzig actually do go on to win the league. It you know, it feels like the first title race we've actually had well in who, two years. Do you want to run away with your girlfriend? Your brother or your you know, your brother or your best mate, like to be honest, I'll take Leipzig now. Leipzig. <laughs> and I, I don't like Leipzig, but they are absolutely the lesser of two evils when you compare them to some other people who have been buying football clubs. You yes. know. PSG, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, it could be worse. I don't like them, but it could be worse. And also, I just want something different now. Can, can, can we get um, Wolfsburg to boot their course their way into the title race? It'd be fantastic. That's what, what I want more than anything else. I just want them to build their own bus to smash through Leipzig. And yeah. Munich. That's a reference to the fact that they are owned by the Volkswagen company. Yeah. By the way, I do want to recommend if you have football manager playing in the Bundesliga because Bayern actually just lose all sense of what they're doing and like every year when I did my St. Pauli save on FM20, they'd, I think the highest they finished when we were in the Bundesliga was like fourth, maybe fifth. I was like, I'm loving this. This is fantastic. It was a yearly title race between, get get this list, the, the main title contenders were us, St. Pauli, Eintracht Frankfurt and Schalke. They were the three competing for the title. It was the least realistic save of all time. I, I can't wait for someone from like Schalke to like come across this podcast, listen to this episode and go, we can't even sue them for libel because we know we're that bad. Yeah, yeah. The worst part was I had Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I sold him to Schalke and he was like almost going a hat-trick every game. I think he scored like 30-odd goals. In a, it like, must have been 34 goals in that Bundesliga, 34-35-ish. In that Bundesliga season after I sold him. I was like, you... It happens every time. Yeah. Unbelievable. And what's uh, happened this year as well. I sold Alan Connolly, my best striker. He's ripping up the Bundesliga. And my the striker I've kept is, is not performing well at all. I was like, it's great. Great it's management a, from me. A Brighton striker. A current Brighton striker. Yeah, scoring. Scoring goals? What? Actually scoring football goals and putting them in the net and everything. It, I don't get it. You can tell Effect. football managers' fantasy. So unrealistic, isn't it? <laughs> we'll quickly go through the Serie A results. Juventus winning big against Lazio 3-1. Really much-needed win for Juventus, especially after what came in midweek. We'll get on to that later. Crotone 4 Torino 2. Really exciting game between two sides who are, you know, struggling towards the wrong end of the table. I say that they're both in the relegation places. Crotone's first win after four straight losses. 
really needed win that. Um, um, Torino not having the best of it, and Rincon getting sent off in the 93rd minute. Fiorentina 3, Parma 3. I, I want to watch the highlights of this game. I haven't yet. But, yeah, it finished 3-all between a Fiorentina side who... Are Fiorentina still in the relegation battle? Because they're only six points clear. They've got eight game, No, 12 games to go, sorry. Torino have two games in hand. Mm. Cagliari are, are starting to pick up a few points. And then it's Benevento, Spezia and Fiorentina on 26. So, I'd, I'd say they're... <laughs> They're in there, but I'd say yeah. they're probably one of the best position sides to drag themselves it away. It feels like they really shouldn't be going get, going down. Um, but it would be weird to see. It would be weird yeah. and interesting. By the way, we're interesting to talk about Fiorentina and Nintendo kits back in the day. Absolutely oh. wonderful. Mm. We'd love to see them. Verona, nil, AC Milan, two. Two really unexpected goal scorers, Krunic and Diego Dello, scoring for Milan outside of a half-time break. It really does feel like they can get anyone to score for AC Milan. Absolutely fantastic job being done by Stefano Pioli, who for me so far, I know Inter Milan are running away with it, is manager of the year. I'm absolutely loving the job he's doing at AC Milan. Final game to mention then, the title leaders, the team who look like they're going to win the title, Inter Milan getting a vital 1-0 win against Atalanta. Skriniar scoring the only goal of the game in the 54th minute. That keeps them six points clear over AC Milan at the top of Serie A. They've won their last five on the bounce. Playing good football, finally. They've had their problems this year, but they are playing better. And they it feels like they're, they're going to win the league. I, I, I don't really have any doubts about them now. Yeah. We'll quickly mention the Coupe de France, the round of 16, I think it was being held over the weekend. There were a few really interesting results. Canet Roussillon of the fourth tier in France beating Marseille 2-1 because, you know, fun times in Marseille today. Marseille, fun. <laughs> it, was, PS- it was the round of 32. Oh, it was the round of 32. I apologise. Yeah. yeah um, it, it, the website I'm using is showing in a really awkward way. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, if you're a fan of steak... Uh, Chateaubriand are in the next round after beating uh, Roma Ranton 3-1 and mm. another shock was uh, Le Puy Auvergne beating Lorient yeah and my main one the one I want to actually really mention Red Star beating Lons 3-2 Red Star I love Red Star I don't know can, why can we talk about the next round we can where, absolutely talk about the next round where PSG face Lille Red Star are rewarded against with a tie against Lyon. Monaco face Metz. And one of uh, Rumier-Valier or Le Puy-Auvergne will be in the quarter-final. I mean, this, I, I'm loving all of these fixtures, I'll be honest. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a game you wouldn't really want to watch. I mean, Canet-Roussillon, after beating Marseille, are facing Boulogne, which isn't Marseille. So... Well, actually, they're probably more, you know, stable than Marseille, yeah. let's face it. <laughs> My favourite thing about the Coup de France is the fact that you can get these tiny little sides that go so far. Mm. It's Especially like... when it's the department sides mm. from like Tahiti or Reunion that go so far. It's like the DFB Pokal, where you just have one non-amateur side make the semi-finals every year, it feels like. Yeah. Apart from this year, because Rock by Sesson were knocked out, weren't they? I think so. 
Yeah. Right, we'll talk about the Champions League then. Oh, Alex I mean, Sambon will talk about the Champions League because he developed yeah. notes. And what? I would feel bad saying we're not talking about the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a night. Um, I'll start off with Dortmund versus Sevilla. Uh, a 2-2 draw on the night and Dortmund advance 5-4 on aggregate. Erling Haaland, wow. He's reached 20 goals in the Champions League in 14 games. And that's 20 goals in the Champions League proper, not including the qualifying rounds. He's reached it quicker than Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo, Lewandowski. I think he anyone, is... might. It's a record. Yeah, it's a record. He, he is an animal. Like, he's an absolute animal. Mm. Just imagine when he signs for Leeds. Exactly. <laughs> um, and Dortmund were the deserved winners over the two legs. So... Erling Haaland almost had a penalty to score, apart from it wasn't given. A minute later, Erling Haaland scores his second of the game and Dortmund's second of the game, only for that goal to be ruled out because an earlier infringement had happened where a penalty was given to Dortmund. Dortmund and Erling Haaland then missed the penalty, only for it to be brought back again due to encroachment from Yassine Bonu in the severe goal who had stepped off his line and after Bonu had goaded Haaland after him missing the penalty or it being saved by Bonu, Haaland then scores and laughs in Bonu's face. Apparently, Amazing. Apparently he said something to Haaland and he just said it back. He said, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fantastic. I love it. I just love how Erling Haaland is every like typical twenty-year-old playing football. Yeah, he he is. Every, it's every neutral's favorite player at the moment. He's, he's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and I th- I think the Haaland Mbappe saga is what's going to take over from Messi and Ronaldo. Oh yeah, absolutely. And speaking of a certain Portuguese superstar, we have a new one, Sergio Oliveira, who scored both goals for Porto, as despite they lost. Despite them losing 3-2 to Juventus, they go through on away goals after it ended 4-4 on aggregate. 17 years to the day since Porto had that night at Old Trafford where Jose Mourinho slid down the Old Trafford sidelines as Porto went on to win the Champions League. Porto deserved to go through. And in my notes, I've just got how fantastic the Porto defensive line were Pepe and Mbemba were amazing they were absolutely solid Marcusin despite conceding three goals played fantastically I mean they were all screamers let's be honest and what an advert for the Champions League Oliveira's free kick is the thing I really wanted to mention as Juventus's wall decide not to be a wall for the free kick Ronaldo jumps it goes underneath him and Chesney mm. can't really do anything about it because it is so far towards the corner. Yeah, Fabio Capello speaking on Sky Italia after the game. He's a wonderful pundit, by the way. He said, that was an unforgivable ever. In my day, you chose the players who went into the wall and they couldn't be someone afraid of the ball. They were scared of the ball and they jumped away from it, turning their backs. That's unforgivable. Yeah, and I mean, for, for me, this game deserved a crowd. Like, if there was a crowd, there would be more limbs than a prosthetic factory. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it was like you could imagine how the crowd would have reacted to every yeah. single goal. Oh, what an advert. 
What an advert for the sport. Andrea Pirlo was talking about the chances of him being sacked on Sky Italia as well. He said, quote, I've been here at Juventus because it's the beginning of a new project. Looking at the future and for several years, I continue calmly with my work, unquote. It would be really foolish to have a project manager and then sack him because he's yeah. not getting results in his first season. Yeah, Just, agreed. Yeah. Also, the irony of Juve being knocked out of the Champions League in three successive seasons by Ajax, Lyon and Porto, the three clubs that are not deemed glamorous enough for the European Super League by Andrea Agnelli, the Juventus chairman. Yeah. That, by the way, Col- yeah, Colin Miller on Twitter saying that. Absolutely fantastic. And if you want to propose a European Super League, don't be the team that goes out to the teams that you don't want in the European yeah. Super League. You, let's face it, if it was a real Super League, Juventus wouldn't be in it. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, there's, they seem to fall apart in the Champions League. Yes, I don't, I don't know bother. what it is. Right, we're going to end the show then with a bit of news. The Barcelona presidential election was carried out this weekend and John Laporta is back as the president of Barcelona, who was the president between 2003 and 2010. Obviously made quite a few influential changes, including getting that conveyor belt of La Masia greatness going through into the Barcelona first team. He got, I believe, he got over 50% of the vote. I think it was 55% and Victor Font got 42% and Freixier got 8%. That's actually really interesting in itself because the um, both Font and Laporta were very similar candidates. They were, you know, sort of, let's go back to what it was like before sort of candidates, sensible candidates. They got 92% of a vote. Freixier was the closest thing to a continuity candidate, although he never said that. And, you know, he was the one who was saying, let's borrow more, let's get rid of Messi, everything's fine, we weren't struggling, we weren't going in the wrong direction beforehand. And he only got 8% of the vote, so it's a very sound rejection of the Bartomeu way of thinking of Barcelona. Thank God for them, at least anyway. Mm. Though, on the upside, um, Laporta was a basketball guy at first, and they've got Pau Gasol back! Yay! Your mid-2000s NBA fans are absolutely loving that news. Sorry. Um, Their their basketball side side has re-signed one of their best players. Anyway, Messi voted in this election, and he hasn't done that before. He's never voted in a Barcelona presidential election. Is this an interesting story? Yes and no. Hmm. No, because it's one vote that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. You know, he is is only one person that's voted, but yes, because I think it'd be interesting to know which way he's voted. I would guess Laporta, only because they were actually close friends. Yeah, He definitely didn't vote for Freixia. We can say that. I I think it is interesting because it shows that his heart is still with Barcelona and he wants the club to go in a certain direction. Whether that direction involves him, I don't know. But there is now... Essentially, Laporta's first job is to ensure ensure Messi doesn't make up his mind to leave and then put in the things that will make him stay. To be fair, like it's almost like he's voted for the future of the club that he's not going to be a part of. That's kind of how it seems to me. Mm. But it's what future he's not going to be a part of that matters. The immediate future he's not going to be a part of or the long-term future he's not going to be a part of. Who knows? I, I think his chances of staying now, I'll ask you what you think, I think his chances of staying are about 70 to 75%. I, I was going to go with sort of 60-40 leaning to him staying. Yeah. I still think there's a big proportion of him that might just go, look, it might be time for me to move on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I wouldn't be entirely stunned. Like that would be me saying ninety five percent in staying, but yeah, 
I, I think it's more likely than not. According to Mundo Deportivo, Sergio Aguero has said he'd be happy to sign for Barcelona. His agent has already informed Laporta of his client's willingness to play at Camp Nou. Aguero is aware that he'd have to lower his rate, wages, but in return he has requested a signing bonus. It would be interesting. Obviously, he just dis- dislikes Real Madrid, which, fair. Do you see this happening? Yes. I can I can see it happening, and he would be a very good replacement for the goals that they missed with Luis Suarez this season. Mm. However, it's it's almost endemic of Barcelona's problems. They keep signing players for the here and now, and not players for the future. Mm. And I think that's where they need to invest their money in players like Anzu Fati, Elish Mariba. The, the issue is, yeah, you mentioned the young players coming through at Barcelona. I don't think any of them are out and out strikers. True, but I'd rather see them invest in a young striker. Yeah, not a Haaland, fair. not an Mbappe. What but... about a Martin Brathwaite? Hashtag you take my breath away. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> Just stop. What? Me making that claim? Or me saying that or Martin Brathwaite playing for Barcelona? <laughs> you making that claim? Brathwaite's deserved this chance. It, I, I, I like him. He seems nice. Anyway, um, Joachim Löw will step down as the German national team head coach after the Euros this year. It's been coming. Yeah, he's he's been there a while now, and he's lasted more more time than most international managers, and he's done very well for Germany. Yeah, it's brought the World Cup back. I don't think he wants to be associated with what I think will be the downturn in Germany. So obviously, if Germany could pick anyone, it'd be me or you. But since I can't get me or you because we're otherwise busy, their other dream sort of person would be Jurgen Klopp. There's very little chance of that happening, isn't there? Right now, yes. After the Euros, and if Liverpool have completely and utterly collapsed, mm. I, I can I can see it. The so seeds are being sown. Like you know how people are saying Jurgen Klopp needs to take a break, or they they think Jurgen Klopp needs to take a break. Managing a national team is kind of like that. Yeah, you only get to see them for two weeks every three months. I worry that, you know, there are certain managers who can do national team football and certain managers who can't. Don Revy always said he lamented the fact that, you know, he only got to see them for them two weeks because he couldn't really instill his beliefs and what he wanted into them in that short period of time. Who knows whether Jürgen would feel like that as well. Realistically speaking, would you say Haunty Flick's the favourite? But why would he leave Bayern? It's a good... Well, apparently there's discontent with the board. I think looking at it from the board's perspective at Bayern, even if they are discontent with the manager, who do you then to allow a manager to go you've got to have in mind a replacement. What about getting Nico Kovac from Monaco? I, I just it don't see work. I don't see a, a manager really coming to the fore for Germany that isn't Jurgen Klopp because I don't see any other club going yeah okay we'll let our manager go for for Germany unless they do like on ma- you don't see it very often in football in fact I don't think we've ever seen it in football where a club manager has taken on a dual role with international management as well yeah but I, I just don't see who they replace so, Maybe so just- the favourite for the job currently is the former manager of Borussia Neunkirchen Karlsruhe Waldorf Mannheim and Ala Hallen, he's been the Germany under-21 coach since uh, 2016. This is not an explicit podcast, but the favourite is Stefan Kuntz. Yeah, I, I am aware of 
of him. Um, apart from that, Jurgen Klopp, yeah, he, he, I think he was part of the side who played at Euro 96. And probably played at many other sporting events. I just know he played there for, at Euro 96 because I watched Germany, some of Germany's games. Um, the other favourites, Jurgen Klopp, 3-1, Julian Nagelsmann, 6-1, and Flick, 8-1, Klinsmann, 10-1. That would be hilarious. Arsene Wenger, 16-1, Christian Strike, um, 20-1. to It will be an interesting appointment. That's what we'll see. Yeah, I I struggle to see the right answer there for Germany and the right answer for the person. Obviously, if if you're the under-16s manager or whatever I just said, then it's a step up. Uh, Klinsmann would like a job again. Wenger, I'm not sure about. But the club, the the managers currently in club management, I don't see it being a step up, especially because you have a rebuild on your hand. They have to have Das Reboot. Great book by Raphael Honigstein. Anyway, the Football Association have welcomed talks over potential broadcasts of refereeing decisions. Good news. Thank God. It Mm. worked for rugby. I can't see it not working for football. And it could actually improve footballers' behaviour towards the refs. Yeah, absolutely. According to kicker winger Kingsley Coman has rejected Bayern's first three-year contract offer and talks between the two parties have been postponed for now. He is currently under contract until 2023. Mark Noble has written an open letter to West Ham supporters confirming that next season will be his last at as a player at the club. Really sad. West Ham legend. And he is a West legend Ham legend. Is, legend is batted around too much. I know when people call Mikel Arteta an Arsenal legend, he, he's yeah. not an Arsenal legend. I'm going to put that out there. Legend status is reserved for players who have properly served the club hmm. or who have really had an influence on the club. And Mark Noble has properly served West Ham. Properly yeah, served them. 454 appearances since 2004. There was chances for He's him to jump ship as well. Yeah. I remember when they got relegated the first time. The year when they had the confusion with all the betting sponsors and ended up just putting a massive iron on with the numbers on the front yeah. of their shirts. I think it was 0809. When they first got relegated, I think Mark Noble had the chance to move then. And no, I think it was 10-11, because they played in the Championship in the 11-12 season. Yes, it was. It was 10-11. Because I think he had the chance to jump ship to, I think mm. it was like an Everton or something like that. Yeah. Or a, a stable Premier League side. And there was always the argument that, you know, he's not getting the England team because he's at West Ham. So, yeah. for his own good, he could have, you know, jumped ship to increase his chances of getting into England, and he stayed a to West Ham instead. I think what he... The way he will go down is kind of like Scott Parker. Yeah. Because when Scott Parker was a player, he was severely underappreciated by all fans of all colours. And when he retired, people like look back on his career and go, actually, he was quite a solid player for yeah, a good absolutely. number of years. Mark Noble's the same. Yeah. Can you name the two sides he played for who were not West Ham? He, he went on loan two times in 2006. Two, th- two times in 2006? Yeah. God, uh, I'm gonna go just lower league and say like Swansea and Bournemouth. It was Hull and Ipswich. There we go. They're the only two other teams to play five times for Hull, thirteen times for Ipswich, where he scored once. Coventry are set to return to the Rico Arena. They finally agreed a deal with Wasps over a return. It means Coventry will be actually playing in Coventry, not Birmingham or Northampton. Good news. Good news for Coventry. Yeah. Brentford are advertising for a board member they want to include. They want to increase their diversity at the board level, and so they're actually advertising the job or position of board member for people to come and apply. Which is it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear that they're making a push for, you know, more no, representation I, I, in the boardroom. 
I, li- I like that because they're doing things hard. Mm. Finally, uh, two more stories. First of all, you want to talk about Rangers for yeah, the obvious Rain- reason. Rangers have indeed won the Scottish Premier League for the title. first time ever. For the- <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to annoy anyone. <laughs> there we go. Rangers as the company, yes. Yes. Rangers as the historic football club, no. And in a historic year where Celtic wanted to make it 10 on the bounce and just collapsed, Rangers have swept all aside, having not lost a game yet, and going to Parkhead next week to face Rain- to face Celtic, where they will either not be clapped onto the pitch, or they either will be clapped onto the pitch. In Very bitterly. Honor. Yeah. Like, if you thought see- the Derby players were bitter about clapping Leeds onto the pitch... Oof. Yeah, I don't see Celtic clapping them onto They're the pitch. They're not going to clap them onto reason. the pitch. And I, I, they only they've only won the title Rangers by default, not because they've gone and out and won a game, but because Celtic. Yeah. I don't want to be slanderous or libelous, but almost chose not to win a game. They made all the efforts to win on Sunday, but drew nil nil, and I think they were kind of happy. Yeah. About that. They're definitely not sad about it. Yeah. Because knowing as an Arsenal fan, the amount of times I rub it in Tottenham fans and Man United fans' faces that we've won the league at their ground, mm. it, it annoys them so much. And for Rangers to be able to hold that over Celtic would be, we won the league when you were there for 10 in a row on your home pitch. Mm. That would You be- are going to struggle to make that into one chant, but the sentiment's yeah. fair. The most impressive thing about Rangers' title win is that they've played 32 games, drawn four, having scored 77 goals and only conceding nine. Jesus Christ. Well done. In, in all fairness, I know I talk about the SPL as a lower competition, which it, which it is in all fairness, but that is an incredible achievement for any club at any level, and Steven Gerrard does deserve a lot of credit for it. Yep. Final thing to mention, the Maracanã Stadium in Rio de Janeiro is set to be renamed after Pelé. Yeah, uh, in a in an odd sort of news story, really, they're going to call it the uh, Edson Arantes do Nascimento Rey Pelé Stadium, meaning King Pelé in Portuguese. I mean, he is a king in Brazil, let's face it, and he, he, he deserves is. he deserves any title he wants. I think he has an honorary knighthood as well, if I remember correctly. So he's also Sir Pelé. Sir King Pelé, Lord of Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> there we go. There was a game called Lords of Football. Ages I remember ago. it. Yeah, it's really I interesting. It. It's like um, for anyone who hasn't played it, it's like a mix of The Sims and Football Manager. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really it quite did. different. It, it, different is the word. It does both things, but not to a good extent. <laughs> I, I love how you could just pick up your players when they're in the pub and send them to like somewhere else. The library. <laughs> the library. Yeah. <laughs> Get get reading. Get get that St. Pauli book and other football is possible down you. Exactly. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the A Beautiful Game podcast today. Thank you for Josh for coming along and of course thanks to Alex Tam Brown for coming along as well. Thank and you we on. will be back on University Radio York this weekend starting with a beautiful pre-game Saturday 2 through 3 before the A Beautiful Game show between 3 through 5 uri.org.uk if you want to listen to that thank you for listening today and we will see you next week goodbye